me ask a quick question of you guys. How many in here still write letters in longhand and send, like with a real stamp and a real envelope, letters written out? Okay, a number of you, a number of you. Many of us have gone the way now of the computer, right? And so don't do it. But when you're, check your memories if you've ever done them. So when you're writing a longhand letter and you get to the end and you put love and your name and then you go, oh, there's something I didn't say, you would put what? A P.S. at the bottom of that, a postscript. Now, if you're using a computer, you don't have to do that. You just go back up into the body and type it in there. So sort of P.S.s have probably sort of fallen off. But, but you had to write a P.S. at the bottom. And, and so if you were getting a, a letter maybe from your college-age student, perhaps that P.S. would be send cash. <clears throat> if you're writing it to somebody that you love, it might be remember I love you. Um, but it, it's that next thought of something really important that you put as a P.S. Well, the reason that I bring that up <clears throat> this morning is the scripture that I'm going to be reading in just a bit from John 21. It's kind of like a P.S. to the Gospel of John. John writes the Gospel. He takes us through the suffering, death, and resurrection, and then the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Um, and then he closes out Uh, the 20th chapter by saying, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, period, stop. And then I think John went, oh wait, (laughs) wait, there's another resurrection appearance that I think is critical, and I need to write that in, and that then becomes chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. Please stand as you are able for the reading from the Gospel. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, this morning may the words of my mouth, indeed may the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So have you ever fished all night long and caught nothing? I'm not a fisherman, but I have a son who loves to fish. Not commercially, but he picked up a love for saltwater fishing back when he was about 20 years old and we lived in uh, Texas City, and he began there and began this sort of lifelong love of saltwater fishing. He started off wade fishing, and then he went to a kayak, and then he had a little bitty aluminum fishing boat, and now he has a sure enough real life fishing boat. He's moved now since then up to the Fort Worth area, um, and so he does more freshwater, but it's saltwater fishing that he really loves. And so it is that he's studied the tides, he's talked with other fishermen, he bought himself a GPS depth finder, fish finder apparatus, all in order to be where the fish are when he fishes. And he uses a variety of lures or fresh bait uh, suited to a particular fish's particular taste, even to their colors that apparently some uh, are more sensitive to. And Michael has fished all night several times. And sometimes he's caught a good amount. And sometimes he's had nothing to show for the night. But he keeps on doing it. He loves learning about fish. He likes to watch fish TV shows. He reads and studies the habits of fish and has become a really good fisherman. As a mom, I like to think that maybe he's also learned some of those transferable life lessons about patience and about trying new things and and about setting goals and then meeting them, listening to experts and, and looking at things from a different perspective, like the fish's perspective. So maybe he did, or, or maybe, maybe he just learned about fishing. <laughs> Seven disciples were told in John's gospel after the resurrection when fishing. And many of them indeed were professional fishermen. And nighttime was a, the best time in, to fish. You would look, especially if you had some moonlight, at the, to look for those shimmering uh, places where you could see the fish just below the surface and cast your net and haul them in. I don't know why they were fishing after the resurrection. Maybe it was just a male bonding kind of a time, or maybe they needed some time away after witnessing the death of Jesus and then the incredible resurrection and speaking to him and seeing his hands inside, they may have just needed to return to something that they knew in order to process all that was going on. What we do know is that just after daybreak on the Sea of um, Galilee, which is the same as the Sea of Tiberias, there's a figure on shore about 100 yards away from the boat who says to cast the net over on the other side, on the right side of the boat, perhaps from the shore, that person could see some perspective that they couldn't see looking straight down into the water. And so, for whatever reason, they did it and pulled in a huge haul of fish. 153 of them, we're told. Now, I always stop here and go, why 153? 
What's with 153? Why is that number given to us in John's gospel? Is there a significance? And when you read the commentaries, you find that there are a variety of potential explanations. For some, it's, a, it's one of those exercises in biblical numerology, and when you add the letters of this and you add the numbers of that and and you come up with this message uh, uh, that you wouldn't get except for that numerology. Another commentary said that it may have been a representation of the tetragrammaton. Um, Those are the four Hebrew letters that make up the name of God as God gave it to Moses that we translated then I am. So Yahweh is normally how you see that. And that allegedly appears... 153 times in the book of Genesis. I've read another place and heard that maybe it was a representation of the known species of fish in the Sea of Galilee at that time. When I visited Israel, that's in fact what our guide told us um, was the 153 fish. You know, it could be that there's 153 because the 154th fish got away. It could be that someone decided to count them. You know, they're fishermen. Maybe they're going to divide them up uh, equally so that they can sell them for the profit. Um, And that there was one person on board that was so dumbfounded by the large catch of fish that said something like, can you believe it? I wonder how many there are. Whatever the reason, this story is given to us as what's called a living parable. You remember Jesus had told his disciples when he walked among them that they were to become fishers of people. And so we're to take this experience of this fishing experience and and relate it to that type of fishing, the fishing of people. We learn from this that first of all you need to fish where the fish are. And that Jesus will guide us to fish. And that when we listen to Jesus' guidance and follow what he says, the results will be astounding. And it also means that you do whatever it takes. Several years ago, the advertising slogan for the United Methodist Church were two words, rethink church. Rethink church. What if church wasn't a place to come, but a people going where the fish are? What if church wasn't a place that you belong to by affirming a set of membership rules, but a group of people that you had genuine relationships with, that you learned life lessons with, that you served the cause of Christ with? What if church wasn't a safe haven where you could escape to and instead was a counter-cultural movement where you immersed yourself in crazy counter-cultural ideas like loving your enemy, like refusing to speak badly about someone who disagrees with you, about living a simple lifestyle so you had more to give away, about service to those whom society tends to push to the margins. And what if we didn't demand that the fish come to us, but were determined to go where the fish are? Would that sometimes involve us throwing our nets to the other side of the boat? And what would that look like?
Friends, we are living in a time of a great cultural shift. And that cultural shift is, in general, away from organized religion. We're now into at least the second generation of folks who haven't grown up with church as a part of their life, who haven't learned the Bible stories, who don't regularly read their Bibles, who haven't worshipped regularly or been baptized or felt the need to join a community of believers. Does that mean that people today don't need God? That they don't need the message of grace and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ? Of course not. It does mean that we may need to look to Jesus' directions for a perspective on how to fish from the right side of the boat if we find that we've been fishing from the left. I read lately some interesting stories about churches that have made this attempt to, to fish from the other side of the boat. <clears throat> a youth group at Faithbridge United Methodist Church over in spring <clears throat> that has been growing as they have immersed their youth more and more in, in mission outreach all throughout the year. And they, they slowly, through junior high and senior high, begin to transfer the leadership of these events over to the youth so that by the time they're juniors and seniors in high school, they are the ones taking charge of and providing leadership for those trips, connecting faith and action as disciples. There are churches I read about who use podcasts to spread their outreach to those outside of the church with interesting and relevant interviews and discussions of faith. There's Christ United Methodist Church in College Station that recently started an expression of faith called Lakeway Church, and they started it on Thursday nights, a worship service on Thursday nights to reach millennials who just are too busy on Sunday mornings to fit church into their schedule. One of the plans that I have for my sabbatical that begins this coming Wednesday is to spend some time reflecting on what fishing from the other side might look like for us. And I hope that during this time that I'll be a part that you'll also be in prayer for that as well. One of the thoughts that I have is that, of course, in today's world, in our areas, families love their children, and they try to provide the best for them in all areas. So how do we tap into that earnest desire for parents to give their children the best as we seek to grow young disciples? Over the next five years, I would love to see our church as well-known for ministry with children and families inside the church and outside the church as we are for our weekday learning center. And if you're not familiar with our weekday learning center, it's a place that people are willing to stand in line all during the night to try to get their children into that program. So we asked, what's Jesus' perspective on this? Where are the fish? And what does fishing from the other side of the boat look like? For us, how do we partner with those families, with the Weekday Learning Center families, with scouting families, with those schools that we're already in partnership with, um, and with families in the church? How do we go about providing life-changing, disciple-making, best experiences for children and students and families? 
Leanne has spent some time really pondering on this. And so my question of you as I prepare to go on sabbatical is, will you help her by giving of yourself, your time, your talent, your resources? Hmm. I don't think you heard that sentence. Leanne has been pondering on this. Will you help her by giving your time, your talent, your resources with her? Chase has also been thinking about this and, and thinking about what musical offerings that, that might be outside the box, outside the normal realm of the music program in order to bring music to children. Will you help him by giving your time and your talent and your resources? Yes. Chris Blankenship will begin here as our new youth coordinator um, in early June. And Chris comes to us with enthusiasm, with a love for youth and a love for the Lord, ready to think outside the box to develop a passionate, Christ-following youth. Will you help him with your time and talent and resources? Yes. Pastor Joshua and Susie, they are looking at ways to disciple this current generation of adults with relevant, important, disciple-making ideas. Once again, will you help them? I have to remind you that this service has been recorded and we have your names. Pastor Karen Doris, who will be our interim, she'll start this coming Wednesday, she comes with a whole different set of experiences in churches. She has been the conference director of Congregational Excellence when that center first began. She's been a district superintendent, and she has a word to say to us. Friends, listen to her. Dialogue with her. Our ad board is is also looking as well what it means for us in this church at this time in this place. Help them. Help the cause of Christ in our changing world to be relevant and deeply meaningful and impactful on our community. Pray about what the other side of the boat may be for us. You can bet that I'll be praying and talking with other pastors and churches, reading on that subject, and then praying some more. John Wesley, in his sermon, The Marks of a Methodist, He said that it isn't um, some difference in belief from other Christians that mark a Methodist. What marks a Methodist is a person of living faith, one who loves God and loves their neighbor, one whose life bears fruit, who follows what the Bible says to do, not bound by rules, but ruled by love. We're to be fishermen, all of us. Look at the world, at people all around us, and ask the question, where does God's heart break? So should ours. Where does God want people fed and hurting touched and lives restored and families strengthened? That's the side of the boat that we need to cast our net on to live out our life in faith. And then, friends, we can trust God for the results. P.S. I love you all. And it's time. It really is time. 
for all of us to put our collective minds and hearts and faith together to be the community, the church that our community needs for us to be. Be strong. Be courageous. Pray and talk together this May through August 15. Be faithful in attendance. Be faithful in giving. Be faithful in stepping up to give of yourself to the cause of Christ. I need you. The church needs you. Christ needs you. Let's go fishing this summer. Let us pray. Holy God, Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be the church in this place at this time together. We thank you that you have gifted us with everything that we need to be all that you call us to be. Help us to live out our promises and to cast our net on the other side of the boat. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.